Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Yes, hello and good morning. Today we are joined with Justin Bruce, the executive VP from Bruce and Merrilies, and the uh, president of the Association of Union Constructors. How are you doing today, Bruce, uh, Justin? Doing great, Kirk. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you being here. So I always like to start off with a totally random question, just something to be fun and personal. So what is the last song you got stuck in your head? Oh, boy. The last song I got stuck in my head was, oh, now I, you're making me come up with the title. Jeez. If you want to sing a few bars, that'd probably be yeah. okay. <laughs> You don't want me to sing a few bars. I promise. <laughs> I promise that. It was the Kinks, Layla. Nice. Nice. Wonderful selection. That's that's not bad. I once had the America's Horse with No Name stuck in my head for like oh, a yeah. year. Yeah. Which isn't a bad song, but it was for America. By America. Yeah. It was just forever. And uh but yeah, it's always you learn a lot about people by what the songs they get just on repeat. So just kind of up from the top, you know, you, as I said, you're the president of the Association of Union Constructors or Talk. How did you, you know, how did that happen? How did you come to be a member of Talk and, and work with the association? So Bruce and Marley has been a long term, long time member of, started with the NEA back when it was the National Rectors Association. Um, that really spawned from my, my father's involvement with the NMAPC. And then as the NEA evolved and formed into Talk, I was asked by the president, I guess just, it was actually still with the NEA at the time, where I was asked to be part of the board and looking for younger members to get involved. Happy to get on board with it and certainly always been a really good organization and just been very fortunate in the role that I've been able to, to help portray is just kind of continue to stay involved and continue to, to help learn more about the organization and learn more about our industry and how we can help continue to evolve and advance it. And I think overall, that's just kind of led me to where we are today, which is now me almost seemingly uh, kind of surreal at times being the president of the organization. So it's been a great ride so far. And it's, it's, it's been fun and exciting to see how, how much has changed with, throughout the both, both with talk and with the NMA over the, over the years. That's awesome. And so now you, obviously, you know, your, your name is Justin Bruce. You mentioned your father was with the NEA and the NMA PC and your company's Bruce and Merrilies. Talk to me a little bit about Bruce and Merrilies and, and your kind of, so you grew up in construction, it would seem. Yeah, more or less. So this is our 75th year uh, we're celebrating this year in 2023. My grandfather started our business back in 1948. So, and we're a third generation owned and operated at this point. And we actually have a fourth generation member that's working in the field right now. So uh, we continue to keep a, a family focus. So we're, we call ourselves a, we're a professional organization, but we're still a family business. So our team is very family oriented. Really, everything we do is it's about, about our family. Our family is our team members. You know, our, our core values reflect that, the way our business does that. And, you know, we're a, we're primarily electrical-focused business. So the largest trade we employ is the IBEW. But we also work with laborers and operators and carpenters. And so, so we do have multiple trades that we work with and primarily focused on, you know, heavy industrial transportation, uh, power generation, a large power data center, data infrastructure, and communications type work. So 
not you know a lot of the a lot of the heavy industry type work that many of our our member organizations and many of our owners uh, represent. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And so you know, you like you said, third generation coming up. When how old were you when you were first like at the office, out on the job site, working around? How did that work for you? Boy, I think I started in the summers. I started when I was eleven in the warehouse with my grandmother actually at the time. So she was a she was probably the hardest working person I've ever been around in my life. And I think even some of our older field members and even some of our retired team members that are still around, they would reflect the same thing. They said, nobody ever outworked her. She just worked and worked and worked. So we'd start there like, you know, part days, getting paid about a quarter an hour as a, as an 11-year-old. And then kind of worked our way up through and did different things. Always, always the worst jobs that my dad could find for us to do at the time. I wanted to make sure we understood that it was school was a good thing, so go to school, but at the same time, understand better about the work that we do and the and the and the trades we're all you know supporting and 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 helping to grow and develop. So we all, my brothers and I that own and operate the company now, we all went and did different things. So left that with the college, but all went to to do different opportunities that we had after school. It was not an option to come back here at the time. So. That was the way kind of my dad's setup was for that. It was it was intentful. So go work for somebody else and understand it. It was never a, a pipeline to you know straight into the company firm type never. situation. So, okay. We all came back at different times and different ways and for different reasons. So the company really was it was based upon an opportunity or the a need the company had at the time. So I mean during uh, during those years, you know, post college before coming back, were you still were you working in management? Were you working in construction? What kind of things were you out there no, doing? I was, doing uh, I was actually working for in the hospitality industry. I was a sales manager for, for a couple of year-round uh, resorts out west um, where we had both summer, winter, and every season type opportunities and development. And we did everything from, you know, hosting large groups to, to kind of just general sales stuff to actually developing a golf course and condominiums and townhomes and selling those. And that. So it was a really cool experience overall. No, that's that is cool. No, I, I I spent a few years. I've always been kind of in the video media production kind of world, uh, but I did spend a few years working with with uh, the kind of hospitality sector, and it's a it's a fun it's a it's a fun kind of corner to 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 be in for a while. But you you still have a a pretty I would imagine fairly robust and longstanding kind of understanding of what's going on in the construction industry. I'm curious from you know just your perspective, the construction industry now versus Growing up versus ten years ago, you know what is how is the construction industry right now? I think it's evolving faster than it ever has. Um, the projects continue to evolve. You know, it's interesting because years ago you used to get a big roll of drawings. Right, a customer would have spent months and months with engineering and details and have everything completely planned and, and drawn out perfectly. You would get this gigantic roll of drawings and. We have to lay them out and start working through the estimate to come up with a price and things like that. And it was perfect. It was, you know, detailed. Of course, there's always changes and things throughout a project, but it was really, really well engineered. It seemed to be a, just a decline over the, over the last 20 years of, of that continuing to be less and less and less upfront and more on the contractor. So the contractors have had to be really the ones that can take on all the more interesting type, you know, niche or, uh, innovative type projects, you have to have that capability internally to be able to handle lack of engineering with projects and less upfront information and more, it's almost, sometimes it, it's almost like you get a picture. Okay, this is what we want to build. How much is it going to cost? 
And you have to kind of come to the point of saying, okay, well, luckily, if you have the experience in the, in the team members that are skilled enough to kind of fill in a lot of those blanks, you can, you can put that picture together into a, to at least a reasonable, <laughs> reasonable price and a reasonable kind of plan to start to build the work. And then the engineering works out typically for the customer. And then you start to, I think the biggest involvement or the biggest change in evolution has been from purely it's a, I did, the owner designs it, he bids it, and he builds it. So now it's more of that integrated constructability design and working with contractors to grow and develop the process and the procedures for that job so that it's ultimately constructed, but it probably doesn't even look that much like the way the original picture did when the owner probably had it in mind. So it seems that it has kind of transitioned from a, here's what you're building, here's this role, here are the plans, to a little bit more of a collaborative approach. Would that be a fair statement? It's, it's more of a give and take? Yeah, with, with good customers, absolutely that's the way it is. And then the other part of it is you're trying to develop new customers where they're almost testing you in ways. And, okay, well, what can you do here? And how can you do this? And can you give us a price on something that you really don't have any idea what you're building? It's just kind of a concept in their mind. And so, you know, as an organization, the evolution has been not only being able to creatively and some many times imaginatively come up with, here's what we need to build for you, and here's the way we're going to do it, to then doing that, tying in all the technology to try to put the pieces all together between engineering and utilizing drones and ground penetrating radar and laser scanning within projects to try to make everything work. And to deliver a final project where it may have changed 12 times because of the just the new technology that's, that's advanced along the way and the people that you have to have and the processes you have to be able to develop. And it takes a professional company and companies to do that. And on top of that, now, many times the customers, what we're seeing now, the latest trend has been, we've talked about it a lot within our, our, our talk organization, is the mega projects. Because what they're doing now is the owners are going, yeah, you know what, we're just going to build this entire enormous project. And we're going to go to, you know, basically one company or maybe a couple at most. So we have very limited, you know, we say, you know, the limited next to kind of grab and, and let's go build these mega projects. Well, you're not hiring the mom and pop necessarily down the road to build these mega projects. So it's been a, I think that's a, another part of the, the challenge and evolution of things. You have to grow up pretty quick. No. And so this is kind of one of those double-edged sword sort of questions of, a lot of these, like you said, the lasers and the drones and the ground penetrating radar, that has opened up a lot of capabilities. That's kind of for sure. Like we all see what that has allowed us to do. Does it prove an impediment? Do, does the speed of technology, does the speed of change and the new widget, the new tool, the, the owner saying, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Let's, does that prove an impediment at all? Or is it just great opportunity? I don't see it as an impediment. I think, I think it's you're, you have the opportunity to educate the customer on the information you can give them. The information we have, I mean, generally speaking, all of us have on our, just on our smartphones are so much more advanced than ever before in the access to that information. Well, how do we take that information and we actually make it useful for our, or not only our companies and our team members that are building the jobs, but also ultimately for the owner and the customer? How do we create that, use that technology in a beneficial and, you know, return on investment way so that customer can actually get some information that's usable? And it benefits them. Is it is it making the job more efficient to install and build? Is it taking care of challenges before they come up so that you don't just get into something and <clears throat> realize that now it's a challenge and we've got to go through and regroup everything? You know, it's much more about trying to find a way to, to drive that value to the owner 
as well as obviously, if you drive it to the owner, you're driving if you're, you're, you know, the contractors are doing it. It goes, certainly it would go both ways there. But some owners are just loving the technology and all the, you know, the gadgets. Others are exceedingly resistant to it. No matter what, all of them want out of the project. What value am I getting from that? And how am I getting it? Really, it's about driving the return back to the customer. How are we making it better? How are we able to innovate and drive that? Efficiency, both in terms of uh, installation or schedule, but also obviously there's a cost component to the efficiency. You know, many times owners are willing to pay for value that they find, but you have to show them that value. And and we as we as you know the construction world and especially the union construction world have to really show our value. You know, it's a it's a it can be a challenge because that could be an initial barrier entry with some owners. Oh wait, you're a union shop. I mean, they're going to pay more. Okay, well, at times our some of our our rates or our hourly costs could be higher, but that doesn't mean you pay more in the end. You know, we have to be the best value, and driving the best value for those owners is really what our whole union construction industry is about. We build it better, faster, with higher quality. Doesn't mean that each specific hour, yeah, that could that could be a higher rate at times on certain individuals, but when we use less of those individuals. And we use more trained individuals and we have less quality issues and the, the schedule is is improved and better overall, then when you get to the end of the day, your value is better. And that's really what we all have to stay focused on and drive. I'm actually really uh, you know glad you brought that up. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, and this is not new, but there's a lot of tension or, or talk about, you know, union versus non-union or why, uh, why is Bruce and Mary Lee's or why do you get, why union? What, what's the, and you just talked about a little bit about it, but you know, what's the benefit of going union? Oh, I think the biggest benefit easily is the trained professional you get on each job site. You know what you're getting. You know, many non-union competitors stop at the local corner, for lack of a better term, but to stop at the local wherever to pick up people to go to work that day. Those people could have been laying carpet. They could have been working as a greeter at Walmart. They could have been grooming a floor somewhere the day before. And now you're going to ask them to go and be an electrician helper or ask them to put, you know, conduit in the ground or dig a ditch or something else that they've never been trained for, never had any experience. And that's just the low level pieces. And so for us, we look at getting the type of, the type of infrastructure and technology and value items that we're dealing with for an owner. You know, you're installing, we're installing millions of dollars worth of, of, so the electrical switch within a, within a facility, millions of dollars and 50 weeks of lead time just when you order it, as an example, of one small item. What happens if you damage that item? What happens if you put that in the wrong way and you, you cause, you know, serious issues? You know, it's, it's one thing that you have to replace it and the cost of replacing it. It's a bigger issue is the time and, and the downtime and the lack of that customer being able to get up and running or get back up and running. So... You know, our biggest value we find is the quality of the people that we get from our, our union trades partners and the consistency and our access to them. You know, it's, 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 there are certainly always going to be challenges to access to people with times and places and things like that. But you have a, a tremendous pool of people to pull from and they're, you know, when you get them on the job, everybody's a little different, but you know, they've been trained at least on a basis of certain items. And they may have specialty in certain things versus others, but they've been trained and they understand how to work 
in the field that we're putting them to work in. So I think there's just such great value that comes from that. And I think when owners see that, those professionals on a job site, they also see that value. One of the comments I've heard in, in you know, the opposition to union is, you know, how the, you know, PLAs or the, the executive order last year by President Biden was, you know, anti-competitive. The unions are, these are anti-competitive. I find this interesting personally, because it feels to me that I've seen a lot of, you know, these contractors, it feels like there's still a lot of competition in the union world. It doesn't feel anti-competitive to me. No, there's a, there's a ton of competition. I mean, there absolutely is. For any job, you know, we compete with non-union, union jobs all the time. All, you know, some some contractors that are more general contractors that do a little bit of this work, a little bit of that work, and also they start, you know, building or competing with us on on our scopes of work. So competition, I think, is is it can be very good. I'm not going to say it can't be for that owner um, because it definitely there's a value to that competition. But to think that there is not some competition, that's crazy, and it's crazy to think that the even the you know the on these PLAs, yeah, drives um, to ensure that everybody's you know, under the same least prevailing wage and, you know, living, sometimes it's just even a, a certain living wage as part of that for certain trades. But I think that's much better for the people involved. And again, you get the people that want to, they really value that, that job. They get onto that job and they want to be there. They want to be working. They don't, they're not just showing up for a day and then somebody else calls the next day and they're going to that job. You know, it's, you want people there for the long haul on those jobs. You don't want to have that constant turnover or rotation. But I think driving that that involvement from a union force um, is is beneficial all around, and it's just it, many times competition it keeps everybody honest. There's there's no question about that. Yeah, I can pre. It's, it's one of the most I guess laughable is like you know these these policies are anti competitive. It's like you no, know, it just feels like they're ethical. It's you know it's ma- making sure that the competition is ethical. That's uh, it's just the baseline. It feels like it's just being playing fair. Absolutely. So, you know, if we can get out our magic eight ball and our crystal ball and our, you know, what's coming next? What do we have to prepare for? What is the, what are, what are we battening the hatches for to, to make sure construction, union construction, what's coming down the pipe that we, that we're prepping for? Well, there is a tremendous amount of projects in work. And I think the biggest challenge we all face is the union construction industry is having the, the manpower support and all the, the people to do the work. You know, we have got to continue to recruit and develop and train and pull more and more of high school graduates, college graduates, doesn't really matter, into the, into the workforce and get them trained and ready to go to work. You know, there's a tremendous amount of work and these mega projects that we, you know, we've talked about and highlighted a lot within, within talk and the, and the NMA. These are really exciting kind of almost industry type changing mega projects, whether it be these new technology for batteries and whether they be electrical vehicle, electric vehicle batteries or even grid supported batteries or you know grid storage. Those are mega projects. We've got chip plants being built that are insane mega projects. I mean these things are just enormous, enormous projects and they require a tremendous amount of people. We don't, you know, we've got to continue to grow and develop those people. And, we, and, and it's not just on, oh, we'll tell the unions they need to go out and get more people. It's not that. They have a big, big part, don't get me wrong. But it's all of us as a union construction industry being able to recruit and pull those team members in and, and help grow them and, and make it look, make it them understand this is a good 
it's a good living. It's a, especially now, there's, it's never been a safer time to be working in the construction industry um, when you're with a professional and solid organization, as all of our members are, and, and certainly the majority are within the union construction industry, because you have to be. You can't have on-site safety issues and incidents. Uh, you just won't be there anymore. You won't be working for them. So, you know, it's it's the recruitment. It's the being able to support and drive these mega projects because if we, they're going to get built is the point. These owners are going to build them. And if they want to build them with the union field force, that's fantastic. We have to support that and grow it. If the union field force and team and contractors and the whole tripartite, if we can't support it, they're still going to build it. So they're just going to go find another way to build it. And that's not what we want. We have we have to step up and, and be able to deliver. No, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, very true. Just for sense of scale, for those who wouldn't know, a mega project is 100 people a million dollars. It's 300 people a billion dollars. What Define mega project for me. Mega project typically is defined as a $1 billion or more investment. So that's not just the labor component, obviously, or the, you know, that's that's. That's the whole owner investment into the project is a billion dollars or more. Yeah, that's, you know, and I, I, yeah, I think there's, there's more than a dozen right now. There's over 110. There's 100. Within wow. the United States that have either just started or will be starting. This, the end of last year to the beginning of this year, 110 across the country of 1 billion or more mega projects. And if you go to 24, you add another 40 or 50 and you go to 25, there's another 30 or 40. That's really exciting. That's real. I mean, just for America, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's funny. If you really think about, you know, the difference between love and hate, the difference between exciting and a little scary, that's a very fine line. <laughs> like, for one person, the roller coaster is a good time for one person. It's a nightmare. That's, there's a fine line between those two things. Oh, no. We're right there right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That chink, 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 going up the, uh, going up the hill, getting ready for the drop. That's right. No, exciting times. And uh, any sign of slowing down? I mean, not that I've seen. I mean, I know our government will, will, will certainly at times, there'll be some institutions of different items and rates and things like that that will have a, an effect on certain customers. But you always have that plus and minus of those projects kind of happening in real time where, okay, this one got delayed five months, but oh, this one got pulled up six months or that one got you know delayed for another year or two. But, oh, here's a new project we nobody even heard about. So there's always that ebb and flow. So I don't see any current slowdown, no, <laughs> at all. Awesome. Well, Justin, I, you, you such good insights and stuff like that. Any other kind of final thoughts or words on just the construction industry or why union, why, why apprenticeship programs, anything else you want to send out with? I think we all just need to continue to focus and, and, and educate our young people that even if, even if we have many apprentices and many um, workers in the field that went to college, have a college degree, and now they're working in the field because they realize, my goodness, this is what a what a what a great avenue this is. To, just because you start in the field doesn't mean you always have to be in the field forever. But it's a great way to learn and work in exciting projects, exciting times. Be physical to a point, but at the same time, there's a lot of a lot of work that happens in our field that isn't necessarily you know you're not out there just you know lifting big beams and digging ditches all the time. It's, you know, there's a lot of technology use. There's a lot of interesting types of work that we all do and to encourage and really help our young people learn that this is a great opportunity 
and we need everybody. And in order to grow our work and our industry, we need people to do it. It's we don't we don't build a product. We don't we don't make a widget. You know, we provide a service for for owners and and customers and others that are building these widgets and, and products. And we've got to support that. And if we're if we do a really good job of that, we're going to be there for a really long time, continuing to support that customer and owner. And we have an opportunity to be right now. This is this is generational change in terms of these projects. So it's it's never been a better time to incorporate more of our young people, more women. This being women in construction, uh, this being women in construction week, women in construction week. Um, it's a great time to encourage that. Uh, we have a lot of women in our field force that are excellent, excellent tradespeople. We have more minorities coming into the into the, the the trades. We have to continue to encourage that. We have to reach out. Many times, it's education more than anything else. It's just people. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I didn't realize that. It's it's so much about education. It takes everybody to do that. It is not just a a uh, union issue. It's not just the unions that need to get out there and promote and educate and train. It's it's everybody involved. Owners, the unions, and the contractors. Oh, I appreciate that very much. It's the yeah, it's that that's that whole tripartite that is just so important. Well, thank you so much for your uh, giving me a few minutes of your morning, Justin, and uh, look forward to you know having you on again in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for doing this, and it's a, it's a great thing. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 